We want to continue in the joyful mysteries, although I will be addressing some of the other mysteries of the rosary. My hope is to go through the teaching of St. John Paul II, St. John Paul II, in chapter 6 on Ecclesia de Eucharistia, the Church of the Eucharist. And that's basically paragraphs 53 through 58, if you want to look them up someday and meditate on them more deeply. Looking at the first joyful mystery, continuing as a a foundational mystery, to help you meditate on the mystery and all the mysteries of the rosary and find the Eucharistic face of Jesus in each mystery. I remember when I started praying the Most Holy Rosary after being away from the church many, many, many years after having a St. Paul-type conversion I remember joining good Catholics praying the rosary and I basically had the grace to get maybe one insight per mystery. But that was good enough. I was praying, trusting in Our Lady's intercession. But what I learned was, especially through scriptural rosaries, that if I could make one eternal truth a part of me. And that's what prayer does. Prayer makes it a part of you. That's why prayer is so important. God willing, this sharing is coming from the heart that came from prayer, filling my heart. That's what's important. And as you take the Eucharistic mystery into other people's lives. It will come through your praying the Eucharist with Our Lady, the Mother of the Eucharist. But I remember, you know, if you get a hold of one insight, one truth, one eternal truth, it will transform your heart. But then... You get a second and you get a third. The more you know the mysteries, the more you pray the mysteries. And eventually you can be open to how the Holy Spirit will build on the scriptural rosary to enter into the graces that are available in particular years of grace and favor. For example, the year of the Eucharist. I started reflecting on a Eucharistic rosary. The year of the priest, I reflected on a priestly rosary. Where's the priest in each mystery? The year of mercy, where is the mercy in each mystery? You understand? You can enter into this or, or in your own life. Uh, those consecrated men and women, you know, where's the, where's the consecration? How can I be perfected in charity in these mysteries? Now, of course, every single mystery has either a fruit or a virtue or a grace associated with it, and that always helps me reflect. For example, the virtue of the first joyful mystery is humility. So sometimes I just pray the decade thinking about humility, the humility of Our Lady, but also, first and foremost, the humility of Our Lord, the second person of the Most Holy Trinity, the Eternal Word, assuming our human nature, right? Mary is the first and perfect disciple of Jesus. She learned from the Word. She learned from Jesus. 
So learning how to build on that first mystery, the Annunciation, is going to help you have a Eucharistic understanding of all the mysteries when you pray in that way with Our Lady, Mother of the Eucharist. That's my hope. It's just to equip you. This is your life, your journey. I have my journey. To These couple days we're together, but we go on then, and hopefully we meet in heaven, if not sooner. But this is to equip you. In number 53, the first paragraph in that chapter 6 at the School of Mary, the School of Mary, the woman of the Eucharist, as I shared, St. John Paul II said that Mary can guide us towards this most holy sacrament because she herself has a profound relationship with it. And near the end of the paragraph, he states, in addition to her sharing in the Eucharistic banquet, and we pointed that out, that she was in the upper room, the cenacle, after Jesus had ascended with the apostles who were priests, sharing, were confident in the breaking of the bread. That's what the first community did, right? They, they had the proclamation of the word, and they shared in the breaking of the bread recognizing Jesus in the breaking of the bread in a special way. St. John Paul II goes on to say, while this is an indirect picture of Mary's relationship with the Eucharist, envisioning her in the upper room, or I like to envision her at the house of St. John in Ephesus. John's the priest, the bishop priest, celebrating the Mass. And Our Lady receives the Most Holy Eucharist from the hand of John, who was at the foot of the cross with her. What a Eucharist that must be, every Eucharist Mary receives, you know, teaching us how to relate to the Eucharist. Mary actually teaching all of us and teaching John himself. Mary actually helped John understand the meaning of all that Jesus did, all that he said. I'm sure John came up to our Blessed Mother every day. Tell me more about Jesus. Tell me more. Tell me when you're in love with someone. Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me what was he like as a child? What was this like? Well, you know, John was just, you know, when you love someone, you want to know everything about them. And mothers know their sons very well. When my mother comes to our community gatherings, sometimes I have to say to her, Mom, remember I'm a priest now. Now, I'm not trying to hide anything, but sometimes there's too much information. <laughs> but moms love talking about their child. And Mary, she'll share about Jesus with you all the time. So, John Paul II goes on to say that understanding Mary's relationship with the Eucharist can be had by beginning with her interior disposition. Her interior disposition. Mary is a, quote, woman of the Eucharist, end quote, in her whole life. The church, which looks to Mary as a model, is also called to imitate her in her relationship with this most holy mystery. So Our Lady's whole life was Eucharistic, is Eucharistic. Part of me wrestled with beginning with the 20th mystery of the rosary, Mary's coronation as Queen of Heaven and Earth in our hearts. 
because she's there at the heavenly liturgy, right? The Eucharist is a foretaste of heaven. Or even the 19th mystery, her assumption, you know, the Eucharist can lift us beyond this world to be free from the attachments to this world by grace being lifted up to God, to the vision of happiness in God. Wow. I was thinking about starting there with that, the heavenly liturgy and then coming to earth. But, you know, with St. Luke, who proceeded in an orderly fashion, I wanted to start with the first joyful mystery to the second, to the third, to the fourth, but, and so forth and so on. So in paragraph 55, St. John Paul II relates this to us. In a certain sense, Mary lived her Eucharistic faith even before the institution of the Eucharist by the very fact that she offered her virginal womb for the incarnation of God's word. The Eucharist, while commemorating the passion and resurrection, is also in continuity with the incarnation. At the Annunciation, Mary conceived the Son of God in the physical reality of his body and blood, thus anticipating within herself what to some degree happens sacramentally in every believer who receives, under the signs of bread and wine, the Lord's body and blood. How beautiful. The main point is Mary offered herself totally to the Father's plan, to the Father's will. That's what Jesus does and did from the Psalms, I believe Psalm 40, we hear, I have come to do your will. It's not sacrifice and oblation you desired, although God wants those things. He said, it says, you have prepared a body for me to be offered, Right? I have come to do your will. Ecce venio. I have come to do your will. In the garden, Jesus says, Fiat voluntas tua, thy will be done, right? Mary's fiat, mihi verbum secundum tuum, right? To do the will of the Father. Mary gives herself totally to the will of the Father, which is to give her life totally to Jesus as mother of God, mother of the Eucharist, mother of the church, all the beautiful titles of Our Lady. And she's the spouse of the Holy Spirit, the temple of the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, promptly responding to all of his impulses and inspirations and guidance and graces promptly, right away, without delay. She, she goes from the Annunciation right in the, to the Visitation and makes haste to the hill country of Judea. We'll get there. But to offer all of yourself to God, to the Eucharistic Lord, learning from Mary, our mother, mother of the Eucharist. That's a very important point as well from the first joyful mystery. And sometimes when I'm giving Eucharistic missions, I'll point out to people, you know, we really are a family. We even have a blood relationship because we all receive 
if we're in a state of grace, the blood of Christ. In both species, there is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, who is really, truly, and substantially present. Where did Jesus receive his blood from initially? The Blessed Virgin Mary, right? So we share the blood of Jesus and Mary. We're family. Hello, family. You know, we might not get together for Thanksgiving dinner, but then again, we do get together for the Thanksgiving banquet of the Eucharist, right? We're family. The church is family. St. John Paul II goes on to say, as a result, there is a profound analogy between the fiat which Mary said in reply to the angel and the amen which every believer says when receiving the body of the Lord. We already referred to that. The amen of the great doxology, but also the amen when you receive the body and blood of our Lord. It relates to Mary's fiat. Mary was asked to believe that the one whom she conceived through the Holy Spirit was the Son of God. In continuity with the Virgin's faith, in the Eucharistic mystery, we are asked to believe that the same Jesus Christ, Son of God and Son of Mary, becomes present in his full humanity and divinity under the signs of bread and wine. We know in the second joyful mystery now, let's start to move towards the visitation. Remember, I talked about Ite Misa Est, after you give your thanksgiving, and I urge you, my brothers and sisters, if possible, remain for 20 minutes and give thanksgiving to the Eucharistic Lord. It is said that on average, the Lord is physically present in us for 20 minutes. It depends on the time of digestion for each person, but on average, 20 minutes. Physical communion with God. And yet so many people just run right out of the holy sacrifice of the Mass. And again, I said, we're not going to get caught up in looking at other people's behavior, those ones who leave immediately after receiving communion, for example. We'll pray for them. But we need to give thanksgiving and make reparation and just be in the presence of the Lord and just love him. The best way you can learn about the Eucharist is keep saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. This is the sacrament of love. You'll learn more through love than you will through any other way. And so Mary became the first tabernacle, and she carried our Lord in her womb to the house of Elizabeth, who had John the Baptist in her womb, and Zechariah. It was about a 90-mile journey to the hill country of Judea. But Mary made haste in the Holy Spirit. Mary comes into the presence of Elizabeth, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaims, Three blessings. Three. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And blessed is she who believed that the word of God would be fulfilled. Don't lose sight of that third blessing. Do you believe that the word of God will be fulfilled in your life? When you hear that word of God. It's going to be very important, my brothers and sisters, that you hold on to these promises made by Christ in the word of God. They're very important. They're going to carry us through the challenges 
of living as church that's going to the cross right now. We're on the way to the cross as church. God's working a great mystery. Remember, though, all the mysteries of the rosary are connected. But we need to rely on the word of God and draw strength from the Eucharist to live the word of God. I've actually reflected, you know, I've asked myself, I hope you ask these types of questions to yourself. Why does the liturgy of the Eucharist follow the liturgy of the word? And, you know, in prayer, what came to me is basically, I need the Eucharist, Jesus Christ, to live his word, Because his word is calling me to a divine supernatural life. For example, in St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, around verse 27, in one breath, Jesus says four things he calls us to live. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who persecute you. I mean, that's one breath. One breath. Can we do any of those four things on our own strength? Love your enemies? I mean, they're your enemy. I need Jesus in the Eucharist to do this. Do good to those who hate me. I mean, they hate me. Lord, they hate me. Do good to them. Love them. Bless those who curse you. I mean, thank God, you know, when we're baptized, we're protected from curses unless we open ourselves up to those things. But still, it's mean for someone to try to curse me, right? I mean, I'm walking down the street and my habit as a priest... And let's say someone was trying to curse me. They can't do it. I'm protected by the blood of Christ. You know, I have the Holy Spirit. I don't open myself up. But it's pretty mean that they're going to try to put a curse on me. And what am I supposed to do? Bless them. Now, I give the blessing. I give the blessing of conversion. When I go through airports, you know, I'm up. They'll see me. I'm blessing people. People are kind of looking at, well, what is he doing? I get on the airplane, and I'm blessing the people on the airplane. But I give a special blessing, the blessing of conversion. I'm not blessing their inappropriate actions. Blessing of conversion. Okay? And pray for those who persecute you. I need the strength of Jesus in the Eucharist. Now, even here's an insight that will help you. I remember going to our founder and sharing with him when I was a novice. You know, it's interesting when you enter religious life, you know, you look at the the great growth that takes place day after day, year after year, if you're really attentive to the graces in all of our lives. But I'm a different person than I was before I went to the Philippines. I'm a different person than I was than when I went to Belize, Central America. God willing, I'm I'm a different person than I was two months ago. You know, it's interesting when you first enter into the religious life because you really don't know who you are. You spend so much time trying to prove who you are what you know, and oh, you know, you think you're better than other people, and you won't admit it, but, you know, here I'm going to keep showing the things I know, and you really don't know anything until you know that you don't know anything, and then you can start to grow. But the Lord's patient. (laughs) So you let the Lord work, and, you know, the formators just smile. Now I'm director of formation in the American region for our community, and I just smile, you know, been there done that but it's great when you open up to the word of God and allow your heart to be transformed and then you become such a carrier of the Eucharist 
and you, and you let Our Lady win these graces for you that you need. But I went to our founder and I said, you know, I really have trouble when people persecute me. It's an injustice. And, of course, I was referring to the one time I'm getting persecuted as to the 99 I'm persecuting others, right? You know, we're very good at identifying, you know, the time I'm persecuted. You know, I'm very good at identifying how people aren't very sensitive to my taste, my preferences, my needs. But how many times I trample on other people's taste and their preferences and their needs, and I don't even think... Think a second thought about it, right? But you start to become more delicate as you journey with the Eucharist. Jesus, you know, this is a gift of his delicate love, too. Our Lord is a gentleman. Our Lord is delicate. Our Lord is kind. Isn't it beautiful to have such a great Lord, such a great lover? He's delicate. He's aware of all aspects of our life. And he's so patient. I mean, there's so much we can learn just, you know, looking at him right here, you know. We'll get to some of those things, God willing. Maybe next year's retreat. <laughs> because, because the Eucharist, I mean, you know, this, this is, you know, such a great mystery, right? But we're trying to focus on Mary, mother of the Eucharist, and this is really going to help us, remember? So I went to our founder and I said, I'm having trouble when people persecute me. He said, basically, he said, it's, it's not about you. He said, when people persecute you, the Father is allowing that because the Father knows you know his word. And his word says, pray for those who persecute you. So, when people persecute you, all they're really saying is, Pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. I don't know how to ask for prayer. I don't know how to pray. So I'm going to persecute you so you'll pray for me. So you have to have a translation program. A, a, a great homeschool mom taught me this. You know, She said, like, you know, when the little child is acting up, you have to have a translation program of, of love. Some people will ask me, Father, how many languages do you speak with all the countries I've been in? I go, I'm just trying to learn one language, God language. That's the only translation, that's the only language I want, God language, right? And so you have to have a translation program. So when a little child is acting up, she said, all you have to say is, oh, do you need love? And the little child goes, yes. And then she picks up the little child and everything's all better, right? The child's acting up in all these different ways. But all a child's really asking for is love, even from a mother superior. I won't go any further. But, you know, do you need love? Oh. So my founder went on, though, and he said, and the better you get at praying for those who persecute you, the more God will send you people to persecute you. (laughs) Because a lot of people need prayer. You understand? They don't know how to ask for prayer. So don't take it personal. They're just saying, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. It's not about us. Self-forgetfulness is a key to the spiritual life, as is gratitude. St. Bernard of Clairvaux said the greatest obstacle to spiritual growth is ingratitude, the lack of gratitude. The Eucharist is the remedy Eucharist means thanksgiving, right? Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. See goodness and be grateful. So we need the Eucharist. And we believe that the word of God to us will be fulfilled. Trust and surrender to the word of God. So blessed is she who believed, is what Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, said when the baby leapt in her womb. Now, I could give a whole talk on how Mary's, the new Ark of the Covenant, basically even the route she took, was very similar to the 
how the Ark of the Covenant was found and how David danced in front of the Ark of the Covenant is very similar to John the Baptist leaping in the womb. And what was in the Ark of the Covenant? You had the manna, the Ten Commandments, and the staff of Aaron, which has so much significance in representing Jesus, the manna representing the Eucharist, right? And the Ten Commandments, Jesus, the fulfillment of the law, and the the staff, you know, authority and and fulfilling Jesus fulfills law and prophets. There's so much there. Blessed are you when you believe that the word of God will be fulfilled. Now, in that second Joyful mystery, the visitation. Now, don't lose sight of the first joyful mystery, the Annunciation and the Incarnation. Just like at the Mass, Ite Misa Est, you receive the Eucharist. Now you go out and you take the Eucharistic Lord to other people, like Mary did. There's a connection between those two mysteries that's so beautiful, a connection between all the mysteries. But it's almost like Luke's Gospel we talked about in the homily. There's the journey to Jerusalem, the journey to the Mass, And then there's the journey of going out from Jerusalem to the whole world with the Eucharistic love of Jesus, right? That's how we live. And we want to live from communion to communion to communion. That's how we want to live our life. In our community, we have a practice of 12 hours of preparation for the Eucharist and 12 hours of thanksgiving after receiving the Eucharist. So we're st- I'm still in the Thanksgiving mode right now. Received the Eucharist at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And, you know, it's great to walk around and see the, all the blessings of God. But the greatest blessing is the Most Holy Eucharist in this lifetime. In fact, we hear in scriptures, Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has bestowed on us in Christ every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Every There's no other blessing in the heavens that can be bestowed on us. That's what we received, every blessing in the heavens. Do you believe that? That's in Scripture. Do you believe that word? That's who you received. You could take your whole life, a whole life of just, if it was just pure suffering or just pure labor or pure sacrifice, and you could put it all together, and all of that would not be enough to entitle us to receive one Eucharist. We have no claim on God, but his love moves him to to share his life with us, every blessing. So blessed is she who believed. And Mary, the tabernacle, where the Son of God is still invisible to our human gaze, allowed himself to be adored by Elizabeth, radiating his light, as it were, through the eyes and voice of Mary. And is not the enraptured gaze of Mary as she contemplated the face of the newborn Christ and cradled him in her arms, that unparalleled model of love which should inspire us every time we receive Eucharistic communion? That would take us to the third joyful mystery, the birth of our Lord as Mary cradles Jesus in her arms. So we see in this one statue right here, so beautiful behind me, Mary holding the child Jesus. But You know, contemplating the face of Christ in her arms with an unparalleled love that should inspire us. And in number 58 of that same document, jumping ahead, concluding that chapter, St. John Paul II moves to the Magnificat. The Magnificat is the Eucharistic key. It's the first and foremost praise and thanksgiving. I try to pray the Magnificat after receiving the Eucharist. 
Think about it. It's a Eucharistic hymn. And this is really, for me, one of the main keys, the Eucharistic keys of the second joyful mystery. Just to kind of go over some so far. We take the Eucharistic Lord to others. That's why the fruit of the second joyful mystery is love of neighbor. That's the fruit of that mystery, that virtue, love of neighbor. So you go from humility to love of neighbor. And what you find is, blessed are you when you believe in the word of God to be fulfilled. The Holy Spirit, in fact, filled Elizabeth and Elizabeth. What does someone say when they're filled with the Holy Spirit in the presence of Mary? Who, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Wow. People say they love the scriptures. They love the Holy Spirit. Well, if they love the scriptures and they love the Holy Spirit, scripture itself says someone filled with the Holy Spirit says, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That's what someone filled with the Holy Spirit says who loves scripture. And blessed, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And blessed are you who believe. There's the Ark of the New Covenant. But then there's the Magnificat. So let's look at that briefly. And just in a way, maybe you want to close your eyes and just think about this hymn of praise to the Most Holy Trinity that the universal church prays every evening prayer, every evening prayer, the Canticle of Mary. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Now, I want you to put this in the context of receiving the Eucharist. You just received the Eucharist. Jesus. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, or actually, magnificat anima mea. My soul magnifies the Lord. Now, that's, that's what it means, right? You've just received the Eucharist. Your soul is now magnifying the Lord. You are now like a walking monstrance. That's who you should be. A walking monstrance now. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. Anyone who receives the Eucharist, you are blessed indeed. You are blessed indeed. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. It's the Almighty who's done the great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation, the mercy of giving us the most holy Eucharist, Jesus Christ. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. The proud don't think they need Jesus. They think they can do it on their own. We need to help them so they can have the strength of the arm of the Lord to go through life. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and ex lifted up the lowly. By the way, St. Louis Marie de Montfort in True Devotion says that when that part of the hymn is recited, the devils tremble because they remember how they were cast down from their thrones And the lowly were lifted up, like little St. Francis, the poverello, the little one.
He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. When you hunger and thirst for God, when you long and for him and you desire for him and you yearn for him, all those words are important. I hunger, I thirst, I yearn for, I long, I desire. He has filled the hungry with good things. Those who hunger for the Eucharist, God is willing to give the gift. But the rich who don't think they need the Eucharist, they're sent away empty. How many people just drive by Catholic churches all around the world? Never thinking twice about the gift, the presence, the love. They get sent away empty. Now, we don't want them to remain empty. We need to be helping them. He has come to the help of his servant Israel. When I was in the Holy Land, I asked a Babylonian-born Jewish person what the name Israel means. And there's different translations. Some say striven with God because he, you know, Jacob wrestled with God. But he told me that a good interpretation is straight with God, straight with God, straight with God. There's even some little saying that parents say to Israelite children about, it goes on, da, 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 Israel, like be straight with God, be straight with him. If you're straight with God, he'll help you. Or at least if you're sorry that you haven't been straight with God. In remembrance of his mercy, mercy, mercy. This sacrament is a sacrament of mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Wow. You could even then even think of, you know, the Benedictus, the Canticle of Zechariah, that the church prays in the morning, that also talks about the great gift of God's mercy. But I'll leave that to you. And so the second joyful mystery, the Eucharistic <laughs> aspects of bringing the Eucharist to others with Mary teaching you how to do that, bringing the Eucharist to others. You believe that the word of God will be fulfilled in your life and the life of those that you come to serve. You help them embrace that word of God. And then you rejoice by living the Magnificat, magnifying the Lord, these are just some of the aspects of the second joyful mystery, the Eucharistic aspects. You can think of more yourselves. I'm sure you can. You know, as we proceed through the rest of this retreat, I'm sure many of you will get many insights. I'll pray that you get many insights. They're for you. Write them down. You know, after a year or two or three, you'll have your own Eucharistic rosary. Build on the scriptural aspects, build on the scriptural rosary, but then there's going to be other things that are going to hit you very, you know, gifts from the Holy Spirit that have to be consistent with scripture, sacred scripture, sacred tradition in the magisterium of the church. We have to have them consistent with, with revelation. But that's how the rosary works. It's personal. And yet we pray it communally as well. And so that's the second joyful mystery. I'm hoping to get into the third. And so then, you know, after two conferences, um, we may uh, be three twentieths done just with some simple insights. But I want to share with you that uh, the birth in Bethlehem Christmas.
One thing I miss about the Philippines, you know, they started playing Christmas songs on September 1st. They did, they do. They call them the bear months, bear. Any month that ends with bear, September, October, November, December. They start playing Christmas music. You know, we miss it. I mean, they have the longest Christmas in the world. It's beautiful. And they have special masses, nine-day novena, prior to Christmas. And Advent will be around the corner soon enough. I'll be giving a couple of, well, I'll be sharing on Advent December 1st at some masses that some of you may see. But then I'll um, give a retreat in Atlanta area on Advent. But Advent's that time of silence and interior recollection, thinking of Mary with Jesus in her womb. It's the first, these first two joyful mysteries are really the focus of Advent, and then Christmas is the third joyful mystery, right? I just want to make that little note for you. Because Advent really is, you know, Mary, the woman of, of Advent, you know, the, we're always waiting for the coming of Christ. And in every Mass, you have Christmas because Christ is born on this altar, Every Mass is Christmas. Wow. Every day is Christmas. Christmas is receiving Jesus. The Father gives us Jesus every day. John Paul II, St. John Paul II, used to sing a Christmas carol every day, and it wasn't because his name was Carol Waitia. He knew the truth. Every day is Christmas. Every day. And so, you know that Christmas hymn, Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Right? Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Eucharistic adoration. But actually, to come to that adoration, you also have, I mean, the, all the Christmas carols are so profound, and actually their theology, the true Christmas carols. When I like, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild. Wow. I mean, that's profound. We have to enter into that silence. And yet, even when you enter in the silence, it may seem like it's night, but yet all's calm as all is bright. And I, I'm really going to urge people this Advent, but I'm going to urge you right now. As we talked about, you know, that there's a crisis in the world, in the church, in marriages, in families, in our own being. Silence, silence, silence. Too much noise. We let too much noise, noise pollution you know, there's a lot of talk about taking care of the, the planet and all that's entrusted to us, and that's important. But the most important thing entrusted to you is your soul. And if you let in noise pollution in your soul, you can't hear God. What are the words, what are three words that really describe Mary? There's many beautiful words, but I would say listen, ponder, and treasure. Listen, ponder, and treasure. Are you listening? Are you pondering? Are you treasuring? Or has the smartphone not made you so smart? I don't know. We all have to examine that. It's a good tool. But we have to make choices. I, I have to make the choice. Do I want to hear God or do I want to hear noise? God or noise? Let me see. Do I want to hear God or do I want to hear noise? Um, I think I want to hear God. But I have to make the choice. It can't be both. If you're filled with noise, how are you going to hear God? Listen. Believe that the word will be fulfilled. Ponder these mysteries. Take them in your heart. Treasure them. The pearl of great price, Jesus born into poverty, 
That's the fruit of that mystery, poverty or detachment. But yet Jesus is glorifying his father, the child Jesus, showing that we just need to depend on the father in the Holy Spirit. Wow. Glorifying his father by being born in a cave, dependent on his own creatures, marvelous creatures, St. Joseph and our Blessed Mother, but yet still his creatures. No room for him at the inn, but yet he's busy about his father's business. And he's glorifying God, glory to God in the highest and peace to people of goodwill. The angels are singing. And... I want to share with you some things from the gospel of both Matthew and Luke who give us the infancy accounts. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. I can't go through them all specifically, but comparing Jesus born at Bethlehem and Jesus in the Eucharist, Now, we all know, first of all, Bethlehem means what? House of bread. Our Eucharistic Lord, right? And so, that's so important, born in Bethlehem. By the way, you know, Bethlehem is the same place where David used to be the shepherd of the sheep out there in those fields. If you ever go to the Holy Land... You look out from those caves right there and you see the same places where David was the shepherd of the sheep. And now here's the Lord born for us. And I remember one of Mother Angelica's um, talks. um, And she asked this question. She, She just asked the question. She never answered it, but she answered it. You know, that was her way, but she didn't answer it. She said, why were the shepherds the first ones to come visit him? Well, I reflected on that. Part of my answer is, well, shepherds know when the lamb is born, right? That's what they do, right? Here's the lamb of God. That's what a shepherd does. They know when a lamb's born, right? The lamb of God. But also, here's the true shepherd. The shepherd is coming to see the true shepherds, right? That even relates to the kings. The king's coming, but here's the true king, right? Everything is just so, you can go deeper and deeper and deeper. And all this is in the Eucharist. Jesus is born in a manger. This is in Matthew. Born in a manger. Well, what is a manger? A manger is a place where animals feed. Some of the doctors of the church or saints of the church have reflected. And... Lo and behold, we receive our Lord (laughs) in our manger. He humbles himself to come into us. Now, the beauty of the Eucharistic food, and one of the favorite titles for the Eucharist of St. Thomas Aquinas was Food for the Journey. And, you know, all food that is eaten usually becomes a part of the one who eats the food, right? And I won't talk about how sometimes it becomes too much a part of the one who eats too much food, but that's a whole different subject. But with the Eucharist, we become who we receive. Wow. Jesus was born into the poverty of the crib. And this is to teach us the importance of total reliance on the Father, trust, surrender, abandonment. But it also helps us adore Jesus in the Eucharist. The Magi render homage to the newborn. And this helps us recognize 
Jesus as the true king and our God, my Lord and my God, like St. Thomas said. That's a great, that, that should be said. You know, when I celebrate mass with Hispanic communities or Latin American communities, when you elevate the, the, the host, their sister, she's smiling, everybody in the whole parish, you know. My Lord, my God, in Spanish, of course, but, you know, my Lord and my God, it's beautiful. The star comes to rest over the place of where Jesus is born. Well, there's a lot of it. Just right there with the star. Jesus is the true star, right? But anybody who helps somebody find Jesus is also a star. Do you want to be a star? You know, everybody in the world talking about wanting to be a star. Somebody who, help, somebody, who helps find, somebody who helps find Jesus is a star. Think of the stars in your life. How many stars have led you to Jesus? But the ultimate one is Mary. She's helping the shepherds and the magi all understand who this child is, right? Mary's a star. The star was obedient. There's gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gold is to honor Jesus as a king and as God. The frankincense, which is incense, which represents prayer going up. It represents Jesus as God. But the myrrh is what they would anoint a body in before it was buried. The prophetic role of Jesus, the prophet, the sign of contradiction. We'll get there in the fourth Joyful mystery, next conference. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is placed in the crib. But we hear in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. In Matthew's gospel, I mean Luke's gospel, Jesus is wrapped in swaddling clothes. I think of that one as him coming into me. At best, I'm some swaddling clothes. (laughs) And there's the king inside of me. I just offer him myself, rejoicing in thanksgiving after communion. Jesus is born at the house of bread in Bethlehem. And and this is really, you know, you should know yourself as being eternally loved. Eternally loved. The birth of Jesus really is, you know, where you're able to see what John Paul II, St. John Paul II said, you see the human face of God and the divine face of man. That's pretty profound. The human face of God and the divine face of man. The little child, Jesus, with his arms open. He makes himself approachable. He's so little. The shepherds receive the good news with great joy for all the people. And so we should go and announce the love of Christ offered in the Eucharist. The shepherds had the angels announce this birth. And they went and saw for themselves. But we get to actually have communion with this one, this Lord of love. We need to announce that love of Christ offered in the Eucharist. The shepherds made known that which had been told to them. And so we need to make known that Jesus is present in the Eucharist. We praise and glorify God. And that's what we do at the consecration at Mass in a special way. In our hearts. And then it said, Mary kept all these things in her heart. Wow. She's just, she is the adorer. Her and St. Joseph are just adoring our Lord, the newborn. God born for us. In the house of bread. And in John chapter 1 verse 14. He dwelt among us. You see that right there under the tabernacle. The permanent presence of Jesus 
here on earth in the Eucharist for us. Those are just some of the reflections on the third joyful mystery. And so this afternoon, God willing, the final conference of this day will go into the, will complete the joyful mysteries and maybe get into some of the luminous mysteries. But again, the point is just now to start giving you some points of reflection so you can have your own Eucharistic mystery because that's what the goal is here. Mary is the mother of the Eucharist. In the school of Mary, you pray the rosary. You contemplate the face of Christ in the school of Mary. That's the point. You contemplate the face of Christ in the school of Mary. You contemplate the face of Christ in the school of Mary as you're praying the, the rosary. You're contemplating the Eucharistic face of Christ, the Eucharistic gift of Jesus with the eyes and the heart of Mary, with the eyes and the heart of Mary.